Hi, and welcome to Total Rewind, Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we take a look at movies 30 years and older and see if they still hold up. I'm D-Man, joined by my co-host CP, and we're really pumped for the movie we have for you guys today. CP, uh, as normal, you're rocking the proper attire for our movie, so I'm gonna throw it over to you and let you introduce what we will be discussing. To all you 80s and 90s kids, we think you're gonna appreciate this one. The original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 1990 which I'm excited to talk about because this is a movie that I grew up on. And surprisingly, as far as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles goes, uh, we tend to think of them as the kind of like pizza loving teenagers who are cracking jokes and that's all in there. But this movie's like surprisingly dark. You know, watched it in preparation. I was watching with a friend of mine and she was like, how did kids in the nineties watch this? This is like incredibly dark. And I was like, well, we were just awesome. You know, and the thing too is that that is the crux of our discussion today about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And that is how did this even work? How did they get this? (laughs) You know, these are guys in turtle costumes running around New York City and somehow the movie pulls it off. It's it's quite remarkable. It's a credit, A, I think, to the special effects team, B, to the story. It holds up remarkably well. So first of all, I guess the big thing I, I think we have to talk about with this movie is the costumes. <laughs> they are, in fact, modeled off of the cartoon version of the Ninja Turtles, correct? Yeah. I because think it's the- worth noting from a believability standpoint, right? The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie didn't come out of the blue and everybody was like, oh, we fully accept the concept of these Ninja Turtles, the you know, these teenagers that fight crime in Turtle Sea. Like there was the cartoon prior to the movie. The designs were kind of based on that. So people could at least get on board with the concept prior to, but in seat. The film was made to capitalize on the popularity of this cultural phenomenon. The comics book had been out, the cartoon had been out, lots of toys had been sold. And when you sell lots of toys, people assume that's a great idea for a movie. And that's what they did. Can we make note too, that the original comic line I mean, if you're a comic collector, you if you have any of those original prints from like the early 80s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle line, you are sitting on a gold mine. That's like the perfect combination, right? It didn't take off as a comic line. It took off as a cartoon, then action figures, then a movie. And if you have some of those early prints, I mean, wow. That's pretty remarkable. Oh, yeah. Rich, 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 rich people. Back to the costumes. In the first film were the product of Jim Henson and his team of master puppeteers. Well, if you know anything about puppetry work, you know who Jim Henson is. Unlike the two following films where they tried to make the turtles a little more quote unquote real looking, these costumes, as you said, were based off of the initial kind of cartoon look with the wider faces, the big mouths, which I personally like better because that's more like the turtles as we know them. Well, and if you're watching this podcast as a video, all you got to do is look at a CP shirt and you'll see exactly the model that he's talking about. And that's how they do look. They look fantastic. I mean, the work done here is just top notch. A plus level. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, shout out to the to the martial arts guys who were somehow able to do martial arts wearing those <laughs> costumes because every time I watch that as an adult, I'm like, I don't know how these guys can do it. Yeah, it's funny too because there's like there's gotta be a natural hesitancy to approaching this project where you're like, 
can we pull that off? And by that, I mean, like, if you've ever seen, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in concert, or maybe even the much maligned, like, live action TV show, I mean, it could have very easily gone that way, which is those costumes do not look realistic, or for that matter, good at all. It looks like people in costumes. Yeah, you know, right. That's how it looks. And this that's how this could have come off. I mean, it could the whole thing could have tanked. And yet somehow they're able to bring it together. And I think part of it, as we mentioned at the top, is a little bit of that darker tone. Here, I think in the film, they're using a lot more shadows. I feel like the turtles are often operating at night. You see them yeah. outside a couple times. Even when Raph goes out into the city, he's dressed in his trench coat and his hat. But they're only outside when Raph's on the roof. And he's technically outside during the day. When they go and to the farm. Then, then. Yeah, the farm. Otherwise, I think it's always at night, always shadows. In this one, it's great. They're often in the sewer. You know, Ninja Turtles. It yeah. takes place in the sewer. Yeah. So I don't know. It's weird. In the second one, you know, they end up going to like that abandoned train station. But it never quite feels the same. Yeah. Like they're lair down there navigating tunnels like that. Yeah. Because this one, let's face it, this movie has all the Ninja Turtles staples. They are teenagers. They're often cracking jokes. They, they love pizza. Yep. Yeah, yep. like they, it has them skateboarding and beating people up. And it's kind of got it all. They even have that shot. I think it's of uh, Mikey where like his head goes into his shell. And then he's like, <laughs> I love being a turtle. Oh, yep. <laughs> it's yep. so funny, too, because. I don't know. I watched this movie and like, I still quote it. Remember when at the beginning, like April gets attacked and Raph loses his weapon. Here I am watching this movie. I haven't even seen it in a while. And he's like looking out through, he's like peering through the manhole. The manhole. Yeah. Sitting here and I'm like, damn. And then he does it. And I was like, oh yeah, I totally remember this movie. He goes down into the thing. He's like, I can get it back. I can get it back. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like going off on Splinter. I was like, dude, I can't believe I remember these lines. You know, that's a credit to the other element that really does make the movie work. And that's the story. Mm. It takes itself seriously enough. I mean, you can fully buy it. They do a good yeah. job of really making it seem like, not that this necessarily like could happen. You know, we're not going like full on Dark Knight here, but they've created a world in which you're like, yeah, if there was ever a New York where people were going to turn to ninja fighting turtles to fight their crime, it was probably like the 70s and 80s New York of like, <laughs> you know, fierce city where like the mob was doing whatever they wanted and all that shit. Yeah. And in this case, you know, this this movie comes out in 1990, but it does have the look of kind of like 80s, late 80s New York City, you know, before they went and cleaned up all the crime. So it almost seems like here the Foot Clan kind of steps in to fill the void after like the Mafia Commission tried and the mobs kind of moved out yeah. a little bit. Here come the Foot Clan to fill that void and we're getting all these petty crimes and robberies and all that type stuff. I want to throw it over to you because I know we kind of discussed this a little bit. The other, the other element of the story that I think works really well is Shredder. So what's your opinion of him as a villain? I think Shredder is a great villain. First of all, he's kind of stooped in this old world lore that, and because of this whole like history of the foot, which in the film they talk about being like ghost stories from Japan, which had been brought over to New York City. It allows him to have sort of this mythical quality. And it also allows for outright rejection by the mainstream public. Like, ah, oh, that's just, yeah, that that's not true. Two, something that with, I think the addition of the Danny character storyline we see very clearly is how he is collecting all these lost souls. 
probably landed a little harder of the 80s, right? Where they talk about like the latchkey generation, right? Of all these kids growing up with two parents working, you know, for the first generation. And they're like, what do we do? Let's just go get into trouble. I I love that scene though, when they go to like the like arcade and like all the kids are just like smoking cigars, playing video games. And I'm like, that's apparently what people did in 80s when you wanted to get in trouble. They imply it through cigarettes. He's like, if you want to do anything, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, you got any cigarettes? And he hands it to him. But I mean, there's an implant there that like yo if you want to drink if you, if you know maybe you want some drugs or something like this is the spot i love how he bumps into that kid and he's like go play go play <laughs> But the point is, Shredder is this great, they they do a good job of building a mythical yet real world version of the Shredder. His motivations are clear. He's essentially a crime boss, even though- Yeah, he's running like a low level crime syndicate. It still blows my mind that they're able to empty that entire box truck in like 30 seconds. But I mean, I guess- Oh yeah, that's a great- We we just got to applaud the guy for the efficiency, which he runs the foot. When the old lady's like, oh, hey. (laughs) TV off the balcony when she looks away. At the beginning, like the montage, yeah, they're committing all the crimes. They're like, what? But the point is, I think that they created a really good villain. On top of it, creating a villain 101, right? They give him a mask. They give him a cape. We don't see his face. When we do see his face, it's scarred and mangled. He doesn't talk much. Most of the time, he's in the shadows when he's he's talking to people. You do a good job of giving us enough that we know what we're getting, but leaving it up to imagination. And also, can we acknowledge that amazing intro shot for Shredder? I think technically, he had like his arm had appeared in the movie at this point he like threw something at a tv his actual intro when he like and they have the long shadow yes silhouette yes and then it shrinks as he gets towards you know kind of the end of that light and then they they come down and they focus on him and they have a great i mean it's a great kind of hero shot but it's a villain shot where he's kind of looking up at all of the people almost raining down this kind of admiration on him you know he's their leader i don't know they do such a good job of making the shredder a real villain here compared to i think in in later iterations you know whether it's the remake that came out maybe a decade ago, the CGI version, or even Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. You know, he's much more here as a character for revenge. You know, he Mm -hmm. wants to get the turtles. I think in the new one, like he wants to go to the top of a tower and like control people's (laughs) minds, but you're not really sure why. Just villain stuff. But here you you seem to have a guy, like you said, that they've built up in a way that I'm like, I could totally see that ad. I, I get it. I think the other thing that works really well with Shredder is the final showdown with the turtles. He's actually better than them. That makes a good villain. And he deceives them when he tells them to throw down his weapons. And he's like, ha like now you definitely can't beat me. This guy delivers in yeah. the final showdown. So that's something again, in, in the second one that really does kind of fall short where like they try to fight him. He's like bigger. And then they're like, dude, it's just like, you know, wreck this dock they're on or whatever. And then he just like floats to the bottom and like dies. And you're like, that wasn't really much of a climactic battle. It was yeah. cool to see Shredder all like jacked like he was a pro wrestler, but I mean, it doesn't really go anywhere. He punches some wood and breaks it. He doesn't do a whole lot. And in this one, he felt much more intimidating to me than the big guy. Super Shredder you know? is not in fact very super. Yeah, and then don't they yell that out? Yeah. Like, He's a super Shredder. <laughs> Ninja Turtles. Yeah, no, but like I felt like the guy here was much more intimidating when they get to that rooftop. They all kind of look at him. He's over there. And then the way it's filmed, like with the sounds, like they come over and fight. Kind of all you hear is like the 
you know, and then he like flips the turtle around and they land and then they mm. rock, paper, scissors as teenagers would like, all right, who's going? No, you know, they great. never lose character. I would say one of the elements of the story that I don't know if, I, if I'm wrong, maybe, you know, there is a clearer motivation for this, but the only thing that kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop was the Shredder captures and makes Splinter his prisoner. And it's weird because to me, that's the motivation that the turtles are using to really take on the Foot Clan. Not that they weren't fighting them at kind of a street level, low level crime, like, hey, we're stopping some robberies. But it almost seemed like Shredder brought on their desire to come after him by holding Splinter hostage. I, I wasn't sure what the motivation was because later, you know, he talks about how he's like, I'm the rat of my master, Amato Yoshi. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, you know, uh, Oroko Saki. There's this backstory between them, but the movie itself, the story saves that revelation for the rooftop so that he removes his mask in that dramatic fashion. He's like, I'm going to finish what I started with your ear. So they really kind of save it for this dramatic moment at, on top. But I wasn't sure why I didn't know it if he just, they happened to go to the turtle's lair and he was there and he's like, screw it. The best thing we can do is just hold him hostage. I didn't know if it was like Shredder was holding him hostage, being like, how did this happen? We have to figure out how there's this giant rat that can talk and I need to get some of my own guys because that kind of does come to fruition. That's something that he pursues in the cartoon and in the second movie. You know, I wasn't 100% sure. And it just felt like he kind of brought on some of the animosity from the turtles. He brought it on himself. I don't know Shredder's motivation. I think when we talk about Campbell, this is the, the moment where they have lost the mentor. Now they are off on their own, which is an important part without splinter is when they reach you know what splinter alludes to is is the final part about mastery ninjutsu which is the ability to master their mind and, and act as one as a team which is only achieved because of they don't have splinter right from a story perspective it does work because this is them on their own how do they behave and they make the right choices and complete their journey motivation super soggy, don't get it. Especially when Shredder is not necessarily in this first movie against turtles. Shredder is against April O'Neil, the reporter who is exposing his operation and bringing it to light in the general public. So it is weird yeah, that mean, Splinter is the simple, focal point. You know, they do a good job, I think, especially at the beginning of the movie, where they're actually setting up April O'Neil. She's catalyst for most of what is about to happen. Uh, she's the one who's pressuring the police chief to admit the existence of the Foot Clan. She's the one who is tracking what's going on here. And she's on the news talking about them and this kind of crime syndicate. And like I said earlier, they do have that shot of Shredder throwing something at the TV. His true enemy at that point is April O'Neil. Now, I know he knows they team up or she teams up with the turtles. The whole splinter thing might just be that he's trying to get info out of him on the turtles so he can stop them. But it's just weird because by doing that, he's inviting the turtles to come, mm -hmm. like kind of take on the Foot Clan. So I don't know. It's just kind of ironic, I guess. I don't know, feel like you just want to keep operating in the shadows, but who knows? Maybe his whole plan is like, listen, I want the turtles to find me. I want them to come here so I can destroy them and then continue on like nothing happened. Could be that simple. It was interesting. And I do think the concept of a shredder running a crime syndicate and not just this kind of, because, you know, you go back to the cartoon, he runs like the Foot Clan and I'm not sure exactly what they do. They just kind of do his bidding, but they're actually like robots. Yeah, I think in the cartoon they were 
and they have like the technodrome and like the mousers and everything like yeah it's, it's much more like grand like world domination type stuff you know? yeah and here they like take him back down to this like kind of street level boss I found that to work incredibly well. I thought he was intimidating. He was scary looking when he came out. The way they do that ceremony where mm. he like gives the headband. I was like that. Yeah. If you were into that at all, what an honor. Yeah. And that guy's scary. You're like, I don't want to come up against this guy. I do wish I had one of those drawings that uh, April did. Oh yeah. Of the turtles. I could, I'd, I'd frame that and hang it on my wall. Yeah. Pretty sick. Right. Yeah, like if I was on that movie, that's like the thing I would steal. Not not the not the actual <laughs> weapons or like a headband. I'm like, give me one of those photos. Dude. Give me one of those drawings. What were your thoughts on Casey Jones in the movie? I like the addition of Casey Jones because what it really signifies to me is that the crime level in New York is so bad that there is a street level vigilantism going on. Mm -hmm. That the turtles aren't the only ones that kind of see this all as a bunch of craziness in New York. It makes you think that there's might be more Casey Jones out there. There's people running around being like, hey, we got to teach these punks a lesson. I think the other thing that Casey Jones does is he plays a little bit. Now I'm going to be the one to do your job. In Star Wars, we have Han Solo. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and Han Solo is the one guy who can kind of be our conduit into this new world of the force and the mysticism. And, and he can kind of look at all of this and question it. Casey yeah. Jones does that to some extent, which I think is important for the audience in, in the level of accepting it, because for the most part, April's very accepting of the turtles, right? She's scared yeah. of them at first, but then she's kind of accepting. And Casey Jones kind of looks around like there's dudes wearing like ninja costumes and there's giant turtles. There's an element of like, what the hell is happening from him, which I think the audience needs to believe the story. Yeah. Again, the idea of like some humanoid turtles running around New York is hard to believe, right? Whether they're CGI, no matter how good the costumes are, whatever. I mean, the concept of that is just something that would be hard for us to wrap our heads around, especially if they're speaking English and talking like, you know, 15 year old kind of need that guy who's like, what is all this nonsense like come on this is crazy yeah right but he, he also you know he's funny too he's a little bit of comic relief you know and the turtles are comic relief they're looking there's might be some pizza left and they do you like penicillin on your pizza and they do <laughs> yeah they do the salute to it's gone yeah they're always cracking jokes i, I love the scene where uh they're waiting for the pizza and he's like mm. 129 and an eighth <laughs> and <laughs> You know, never, never pay for late pizza. And the guy's like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, you know, and then he's like, I need to get another route. Gotta love yeah. that scene. Casey adds that level of uh, comic relief too, where, you know, he's scared of enclosed spaces. And then he like goes in the truck and they have this little scene where he's sitting there. And then he's, you know, he's like, these guys scared, me scared. But then he has to open the window because he's like, oh God, I can't breathe. It's too <laughs> enclosed in here. But he's got the, you know, he's got the scene where he's like on the, the swing bench thing and then it falls and breaks. He, he uses the golf club later to hit what's his uh, name. Yeah. Did you catch the, you know who one of the thugs for the Foot Clan is? Mm -mm. Sam Rockwell. No way. I think it's like his the first movie. The guy who played Bush? And he was in- Oh my uh, gosh, I gotta go Justin, back. Justin Hammer in, in Iron Man 2 and Galaxy Quest and all the you know, the comedian. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. It's weird looking back. When I think of this movie, the character that gets lost to me is the character of Danny, but he's actually <laughs> really integral kind of to the story. He's our vessel that can take us into the Foot Clan along into with the, him. That underworld. Yeah, because they don't just go there without bringing someone 
someone from that side in and then he's kind of double crossing and they they kind of have a good lesson in place about you know fathers and sons to mirror splinter and the turtles Mm -hmm. where here you have this kid who's essentially making the wrong decisions right compared to the turtles where splinter's giving them their warnings about you know hey make sure you guys stay together and when i'm not around you have to Mm -hmm. you know have a certain set of values and you know, he's a good example of that kind of lost, lost soul. Yeah, exactly. I, I did want to note really quick that I don't know why, but one of my all time favorite scenes in this movie is when Splinter's doing the backstory. He's like, oh, the turtles got bigger. And then he's like, and then to my surprise, one of them spoke. And then it cuts to them and it's like pizza, <laughs> pizza. <laughs> and I'm like, of course it would be. Their first word was pizza. And it's like, it's those moments to me that made me think, I'm like, these filmmakers, they definitely get it. It's like lighthearted and fun. I love the introduction of the turtles in that moment where he kind of goes around and he's like, Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, and Raphael. You know, they were able to, you know, really kind of bring everything to life. And I was like, this is exactly the Ninja Turtles that I love. Researching the film, up until the Blair Witch Project, the most financially successful independent film ever made. So this is an indie film. It was made for $13 million as an indie. And it made something like over 250 million. So that's crazy. Crushed it, which is probably why they rushed a sequel the next year. I think probably the indie nature of it is why it works so well, because it didn't have, you know, major studios meddling as we talk about all the time in these types of movies. And they use, they use a couple shots to really lend credibility to the location. You know, the movie opens on these kind of wide, big shots of New York traffic, people walking. They're using this concept of a news reporter to make the scope of the criminal enterprise bigger, mm-hmm. right? Then yeah. they're able to physically show us on screen. Yeah. So they're doing a few things, right? You know, when Raph goes out, he goes to like go catch a movie, which is actually like critters <laughs> or something. <laughs> Yeah, They have him go to like Central Park. They have him running through the streets of New York. All of this is really done to elevate the scale of the production. So it really does feel like it's in New York. And they only have a few shots that aren't on like a back lot or a set. You know, I love like, remember when Raph's running and he like rolls over the taxi and like, what does he say? He's like, was that a giant turtle? And the, the taxi driver is like total New York taxi driver. He's like, <laughs> You're going to LaGuardia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever you see that shit every day you know (laughs) so i love i think they do that really well and the opening sequence where it just has that music and april's kind of giving her report on the state of crime in the city they're really using those shots to set the stage for us all the street fighting that's a back lot somewhere it has Mm -hmm. the rest of the movie right they they're in the antique shop they're in the sewers they're at the farm it's very small scale stuff so yeah yeah few shots expand the world beyond exactly and they they use it very key so it feels like to us this is all one giant cohesive type place. Yeah, that's that's very important. Really, you know, if it's the indie film and it has indie film problems, then yeah, that's a big one. Especially given, you know, you have to think this is an indie film. How much did they spend on those suits, on those costumes? I mean, um, right straight up, a huge portion of your budget. You're not necessarily paying a star actor here. The Ninja Turtles are the star and they mm-hmm. know it. Mm-hmm. So they're not, they're not dropping that money for a, a star actor, but- you're going to drop a lot of money to make that work. You're like the whole film, the whole entire film 
rides on the concept of believability of these being real Ninja Turtles. Secondary, I think, was the, the sets and, and the scene and, and the location. And I think they pull that off. You know what's also something that's worth noting about this movie? We we yeah. asked the question at the top of the show, 30 years and older, and do they hold up? From the set design and how New York looks to the costumes, this movie holds up really, really well. I, I still thought it was good, like Splinter in the Fire, the effect. I'm trying to think if there was anything that really stood out to me. I mean, the movie's dated. We know it's most likely late 80s, even yeah. though it released in 90. We know it's like late 80s New York, but I can't think of anything that really stood out where I was like, ooh, that is, that's not good. You have to accept the fact that this is done with puppetry. If you're okay with that, then the, the rest of the movie works. That is just a huge tip of the cap. You know, we we talked before on this show about like 1984's Dune. We talked earlier about Ninja Turtles rock and roll, the TV. I mean, it, this could have aged just poorly. And it doesn't. No, it, it looks, looks it looks great. Before we wrap, I know you're a big Ninja Turtle fan. I'm a big Ninja Turtle fan. I assume anyone listening to this episode is a big Ninja Turtle fan. I wanted to play a little uh, Ninja Turtle trivia here. Ooh, right. I don't know if I'm ready. Go get your wife. Hopefully, She might be a bigger turtle fan than the are. both of us. Yeah, hopefully our listeners are. Easy one we'll start out with. Who were the creators of the original comic book? It's uh, Eastman and Laird. Boom. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Absolutely right. Yeah. I didn't know their first names, but I do remember that. Do you know the years? Of well, the, the year the of the comic comics? book? Yeah. I think it was 81. 84. 84 for the comic book, 87 for the cartoon. Okay. I knew it was early 80s somewhere. I just wasn't sure what year. In some European countries, what was the name of the Ninja Turtles edited to? Ooh, this I don't know. Um, that's weird that they would because they're based on famous yeah, Europeans. No, no, no. It's not the name of the individual turtles. It's them as a group. I don't know that either. They were called the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. And I believe it's because ninja implied a violent connotation. I mean, they do fight crime using ninja tactics, so it's kind of hard to get away from that. They were the hero turtles in, in Europe. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because I, you might have mentioned it slightly earlier, but when the Ninja Turtles came out, there was this a little bit of hoopla around the violence and them using their weapons. Which is which why is, in the second movie, they don't really fight with weapons much. Most of it's hand-to-hand. -hand. It's kind of weird. I, I don't know where that comes from because the movie's not ultra-violent. They no. do use their weapons a little bit. I I mean, there's an implication that, yeah, I mean, if you hit Shredder at the neck with Leo's sword, it, his head might come off. It doesn't. Yeah, I think in the UK and Germany, they actually edited out the scenes of Michelangelo using the nunchucks because nunchucks wow. are a banned, a banned weapon or whatever. So I thought that was kind of funny. All right. This is going to be a hard one. Okay. What is Casey Jones's first name? It's not Casey? No, that's his middle name. Oh, shoot. Uh, I just always thought it was Casey. <laughs> I thought so too myself. I had to do some digging. It is in fact Arnold. Really? Arnold Jones. Yes. No, I didn't know that. All I right. feel like that's something that isn't that a joke in like the third movie? How about this one? In the shell-shocked episode of what television series do the turtles appear in the crossover with another teenage hero team? Ooh, let's see. I'm going back to the early 90s here. Uh I'm not sure. 
but it I is it is Power Rangers, but it's not Mighty Morphin. It's Power Rangers in space. Okay, I was gonna say I watched Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> I never saw that. No, that's like that's like I would remember the that fifth season or sixth season or whatever. Last okay. question. That makes more sense. I was like, I watched Mighty Morphin. I'm a '90s kid. Yeah, I don't remember them ever being on it. And if they were, uh, then I suck. How many Ninja Turtle films have there been in total? Let's see. We're counting like the canon ones, right? Yeah. Six. Well, one animated, the two new ones, and then the three originals. Or did they do two animated for seven? Two animated, and it's seven. Okay. In 2019, they did Batman versus the Ninja Turtles. Okay. All right. Fair All right. Enough. I mean, it wasn't in the theaters, but it was. I mean, I'm DVD not far videos. off of that. No, I'm, no, no. Not, you did good. Yeah. You did good. It was Ninja Turtles 1990, Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze 91, Turtles 3, Turtles in Time 93. Then we jumped to 2007 with TMNT and then the Ninja Turtles and the Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows in 2014 and 2016. Yeah, TMNT was when Nickelodeon got a hold of Ninja Turtles, right? Yeah, I actually think the TMNT one's not terrible. Yeah, I, I heard it was really popular. It's funny though, because what was number three called? Turtles in Time. <laughs> oh my, yeah. oh man. I got to watch that again. And, you know, that's, you said 1993. So we got to wait till next year to do a total rewind <laughs> on that. But we got to, we got to go back and, and take a look at, uh, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time. Cause, oh, hey, speaking of Turtles in Time, do you ever play that video game for Super Nintendo? Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, amazing. That video game is still amazing. You could play that today. The mechanics were great and they had all the coolest levels. You played on like trains, you got to go into the, ag- or whatever it's called, the, uh, what was it, the Agro Crag or Technodrome? Tech- Agno Craig, that's some Nickelodeon stuff. <laughs> what is that, Guts? Yeah, I'm 90s kid, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Techno drone. I had that toy too. Did you ever have the action figures? Oh, they were so great. Well, Remember I mean, like that, the van? The hey, this is a video Still podcast. All I got to do is look behind him. <laughs> there they are. Dude, oh, they were so great, man. The toy lines for that were amazing. Remember in, in the 90s, they released a blimp? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had an actual sewer system that yeah. you could like snap together and you yep. could actually kind of reconfigure it how you want. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, they had the blimp. They had the Technodrome. Oh, the van. You know, it's funny. In this movie, the van actually technically technically makes an appearance when they leave the antique shop, even yeah. though it's not the Ninja Turtle van we know. Yeah, it just, it, it has to be converted at that point, but that's the van. So were, were you ever a Ninja Turtle for Halloween? Mm, yeah, I think everybody was. I was, if were, yeah. If you my were grandma of our generation. I didn't have the uh, plastic shell. My grandma actually like made me my own like Ninja Turtle shell. It was awesome. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah, that's and then we sweet. had like the- Which one, which one did you go as? Always Raph. Yeah, I liked him. All right. He was funny. It, it doesn't seem like me personally. If you know me, I'm probably, if people were to describe me much more like Michelangelo. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked Raph when I was a kid. He's the one I have. Uh, I went to Disneyland or MGM studios or whatever in Florida. And I got his autograph. I have a photo with him. Nice. Yeah. Hang that on your wall, dude. Seriously. That's awesome. I got his autograph somewhere. I think my, my mom probably threw it away when she moved. This is uh, gross, but for all of our listeners, my mom moved out of my childhood home and she threw away all of my toy collections. Oh, dude. I, how, much, how much money do you think was in there? 
Oh, dude, you probably could have sold like thirty thousand dollars worth of Star Wars. You remember? Batman yeah, you remember the Star Wars stuff? I Ninja had. Turtle guys. Yeah, unreal. I was like, Mom, you can't store this anywhere. Like, you can't give it to my brother. He doesn't live with you. We're getting off topic, but that was gross. My Ninja Turtle collection was in there though, so I'm upset about uh, it. I'm sorry, dude. I had the Ninja Turtles, the ones from the movie. I had the action figure line from the movie where they were like the rubber action figures. Got that one right there. Boom. Yeah, they were amazing. I love that one. My favorite was the one based on the TV show. Yeah, those are the best. Those were always kind of my, when I played they, my action they figures. Moved they were like ninja. And they could all hold the weapons. Yeah, they were always like my Ninja Turtles prime. If I ever was like, oh yeah, I'm just playing with them. It's always them. They're the best. Yeah. No, for sure, dude. Man, I need money so I can collect again. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go on a mission. We got to start a YouTube channel and collect Ninja Turtle toys. It'd be amazing. Oh, all right. Let's so, do it. That's, that sounds, sounds good. Anyway, back to the show at hand. If anyone's still listening to us. Yeah, that was fun. The question is, does Ninja Turtles hold up? I think we answered it earlier. I think it does surprisingly well. I enjoyed it. It was quotable. The Turtles, they do, like, I love the gag. They start off right at the beginning of the movie where they're walking down after their first kind of uh, defeating crime and they're trying to figure out what word to say. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, Splinter steps up and he's like, I have always been partial to Kawabunga. And then they all do it and they're like, Kawabunga. And he's like, I made a funny, you know, it's all there it, it works so well and if you're a fan of the ninja turtles i i just can't imagine anyone not liking this movie but like i said i think it's remarkable that a bunch of guys in turtle suits holds up some 30 odd years later i love it i love the movie it's actually one of my favorite comic book movies so it was fun to go back and revisit it. it's been a while steph and i my wife we watched it not long ago but just to sit down and turn my phone off and be like let's let's watch ninja turtles it was great um, and it's I been agree. even more fun. It's more fun to talk about it. I'm having a great yeah, time. It is. And I agree. <laughs> you know, and if you've never seen this movie, I mean, first of all, apparently you've been living under a rock. Watch it. If you don't like the Ninja Turtles, then I just, I, I don't really value your opinion. So I'm just going to assume everybody loves this movie and, and should love it. They're so much fun. They actually put in a gag where they have them watching. It's a cartoon rabbit versus a cartoon turtle. <laughs> and he's like, yep. come on, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, good. so much fun. I, I loved, loved watching it and getting to discuss it with you. So to all of our listeners, you know, let's hear your favorite scenes, favorite quotes. Which Ninja Turtle are you? Uh, did you guys ever have the action figures? Because uh, what a great time to be alive as a 90s kid was great as a 90s kid it's the best be sure to keep the conversations going on social media you can find us at filmmakerscompass.com where all of our previous episodes and this one will be listed so be sure to uh, share the show and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode we always appreciate it and love the feedback and like i said keep the conversations going we'd love to hear from you guys and uh you know if if we do hear a bunch of comments and stuff we might add a segment into the episode where we kind of you know let's get a little interactive here could be fun cp i'll throw it over to you Take us out. Thanks for hanging out with us and talking about the Ninja Turtles this week. In the meantime, keep watching movies and we will see you back here next week.